In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 253. Game of Thrones recap. Yes, it's time for the the uh, semi-annual <laughs> Game of Thrones recap. Yeah, we didn't quite get uh, get one in last year. Uh, there's a person to blame for that who's not in this recording right now. <laughs> there's a so- reason why he's not in this recording. <laughs> Yes, but that's not. But he wasn't. But he wasn't exiled, so he, he he wasn't sent to the Night's Watch because of that, because of last year. But since this year, I def, I definitely wanted to do it in a more timely fashion. And Chad was interested, but he didn't think he could do it in a timely fashion based on personal things, not to, not work related personal things, but just based on family things. So Jim and I were. Jim and I always keep in touch and talk about Game of Thrones anyway, so it seemed like a no-brainer to to roll to bring Jim back into the fray to talk Game of Thrones. Every time I think I'm out, you pull, pull me back, me back in. in. <laughs> <laughs> Lantern Cast Part Three. Uh, oh man! Uh, see how many people get that reference. <laughs> Probably more than we would think. Uh, yeah. So let's start off with the basics here. Uh, so and actually, now. Well, I guess we should probably point out that it's season six. Season six, yes. Season six just finished up on Sunday because we're recording this on Wednesday, June 29th, just, which is also the day New York Comic Con tickets went on sale. So depending on how long this episode goes, we may talk about that <laughs> for like – it would only be like probably like five minutes anyway, so the odds are we'll fit it in. But So we're, we're recording this really, really soon after the, after the season ended. Um – so, what are your what what are your thoughts on the season as a whole? First of all, I said. Okay, so I would have to say that this was probably my favorite season. I mean, this is guaranteed my favorite season. This was the one that pulled me in 
more than I would say any of the, the, the previous ones. Because, like, Game of Thrones was traditionally more a show that my wife watched and I kind of paid attention to while it was, you know, either on in the background or, you know, you know, like, I'd be half watching, whatever. Right. Yeah, so, like, especially for the first season, like, I was, like, not very committed to that particular season. And then as things, you know, went on, like, I'd pick up more and more things, you know, until, like, you know, either, I think it was, like, le- before last season, I was watching them a little more regularly. Last season, I was hooked in, you know, quite a bit more. But this this season, it's like, you know, like, that Sunday night, like, we were watching it, like, as it was airing. Like, you know, you, you can't, you can't delay it. You know, it's like, we, we have to watch it. We have to know what happens. So I would definitely say it was, like, the most, uh, the most compelling for me. I would agree. I think this is my favorite season of the six. I think, and some, I mean, some of it obviously makes sense if you really look at it from a structural and a writing point of view, because as we get, as we get later and later into the game, uh, they have less, they have less room for filler because they start, because they have to start wrapping things up and, and putting every, and, and putting everybody basically put all the chess pieces on the board where they need to be for the end game. Yeah, there will. There's that, and then there's also the fact that, like, after six seasons, like they've killed off so many characters that, like, you know, some of those plot threads that you were kind of following have fallen by the wayside. You know, like, you know, there's no law. Oh, most of the Starks are dead, so you know, like, no more time wasted on them. You know, that stuff like that. That's. Uh, you know, going to allow for more time for the the main storylines to progress. That is true. Even though, to be fair, actually, there's a decent amount of Stark still alive compared to other houses. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> let's let's put this way: a, a lot of the a lot of the more insignificant Starks, at least in the last couple of seasons, have been done away with. And obviously, in the beginning, they kind of it was the the very important ones, they, which for the shock value when they wiped out most. Most of the top, <laughs> the heads off, the, the head off the chicken for the you know, most of the, the Stark family at that point. <laughs> but 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 you, but you are correct about, and it's also going back to what you said about having the uh, all the some, all the all the people that have died, but it also it, it it raises the stakes for the people we have left because because now <laughs> because now we've had six full seasons, well almost six full seasons of John. <laughs> But for the most part, we've been rooting for John for six seasons, and and you have Danny, and you have all. I mean, so the stakes are getting higher because because you know at the end of the day, all these characters that many of which are will we, many of which, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure the ones that are probably almost you can take it to the bank will at least make it into the final season. They still doesn't mean they're going to be standing at the end. <laughs> so it's a lot more. There's a lot more risk too because we have more invested in a lot of these characters, and you know that. It's probably not going to end well for many of them. <laughs> well, you know, some of them anyway. I can't say like, many. I mean, at this point, maybe to be fair, maybe a lot of the characters we we are seeing are going to make it, but there's still got to be some more that obviously don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's there's obvious ones that I think are not going to make it to the you know to the very end. Like you know, like C- Cersei. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I I if I. 
I'll, I was going to talk about this later, and I will talk about it more. But yeah, Cersei. T- I'll go into specifically specifics or what I think later. Yeah, I don't think Cersei makes it out of season seven. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, see yeah. how she can because because she really has she has no allies left. The only people who could possibly be allies with her would be the Greyjoys, as in Yulon Greyjoy. They're the only side that really is that's kind of possibly could be her allies eventually, but not even right away. Everybody else is allying against her. The people in, in King's Landing hate her. And even Jamie, I think, and we'll talk about that too, I think even Jamie kind of knows where this is going. So the odds of Cersei making it through. And plus, you would love to see Danny and Cersei face-to-face, but still, even if that never happens, I mean, no, no dragon reference aside, I think Danny's just going to eat her up. <laughs> well, I mean... I think it's it's uh, it's definite that like Danny definitely is not going to be the one that takes her down. Yeah, I, the prophecy. Yes. So, my, so, so maybe we'll talk about that now since we're kind of getting. Since, I mean, yeah, like as, as since since we're kind of like you know touching on on that aspect, we might as well just jump right into it. Like you know, there was there were two prophecies. One that she was basically going to outlive all of her kids, uh, which you know. Check Mostly. mark. <laughs> yeah, for this season, you know, like this season started off with her daughter dying, and it ends with her son dying. So my wife pointed that out. It's uh, it's a nice bookend there, but you know, like that was that was one of them, and then the other one was that she was going to be uh, killed by. And they use like the the like Targaryen or old old English word for uh, like younger brother or little brother. It, yeah, it was little brother. So we you know now we don't know is she gonna die by Tyrion or is she gonna die by Jaime? So and I think either way is like very likely. I think I think it's Jaime, and what and part of the reason. And I, I remember the prophecy, but I kind of had forgotten it temporarily. But, but jo- the reason why I think is Jamie is I go back, I go back to episode nine, the part how, and I kind of liked how the, you know the episode, the Battle of the Bastards, and how they kind of threw us a curve and a good curveball because we kind of figured, oh, this is going to be like that Night's Watch episode or the Blackwater episode where everything just focuses on one ba- one place and one storyline. But they throw us the curveball because actually the beginning really focuses on Marine. That when when Tyrion takes when when Danny shows up and is justifiably ready to just lay waste to everybody, that Tyrion stops her and 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 we, and we know the story already because we've heard it and and she probably knows it too. But I think there's a but there's an added reason I think we're being refreshed and this is being put back in our consciousness. That Tyrion goes back and tells her the story of basically what her father, the Mad King, was about to do when Jaime pretty much had no choice as far as he was concerned, but had to kill him. So uh, I, so I think that was that was twofold. I think it was meant to short Tommy was supposed to take it as Tyrion was trying to give her a, you know, this was supposed to be a warning to Tyrion, a cautionary tale about that you don't need that. That's not the approach you should use all the time. But I right. think reading between the lines, the the other reason we're told and re, or retold that story is because I think Jamie's going to be in the same position with Cersei, that she's going to be she's going to know she can't win, she's going to know you know that, but she's going to be willing to you know 
lay waste to King's Landing and maybe kill thousands and thousands of people just so who, who's, who's ever going to be left to come after her is going to have rubble to inherit. And I think that's what, that is what Jamie's going to be stuck with, that decision. I think he's, and I think he's going to be one that, that kills her for pretty much the same reason he killed Daenerys' father. That's what I think. And, that's, and that was the reason why I thought it more, and the prophecy obviously, I knew there was something about the prophecy related to how she was going to die. But, but when I saw that in, in episode nine, and I thought about it more and more, it's like, that's, I think, and they've done a really good job with this. I mean, uh, Benioff and Weiss, you know, the showrunners, have done a really good job all, all throughout sprinkling little things in that can be taken multiple ways, just like the Broken Man episode this season, which really theoretically could be applied to almost every character we saw in that episode. They were broken. They were a shell of their former self, That they, the men that they focused on in that episode. Not just the Hound, but everybody they focused on really, you know, uh, Theon, all these different people were just, you know, were just, just not what they used to be. And they were just, and that, I think that, I really think that was one of the reasons why they did that, why they, they brought that back into our minds, because I think that's going to be something that we're going to see in, in, in uh, season seven. Okay, so now we kind of touched on, you know, that. I think maybe let's let's bring it a little bit back into the earlier part of the season. Sure. Let's uh, let's focus on like Arya. Okay. So, like, when the season opens, she's you know she's blind. She's like you know a beggar, and you know you have no idea you know what's what the hell's gonna happen. And then you've got the uh, the waif. Like coming by and kicking her ass. God, I hated her. Daily basis, yeah. But I mean, you were supposed to. Yes, you were supposed to. So I mean, like, you know, you you're watching, you're waiting, you know, you're waiting to see what happens, and like, like, at what point did you basically, you know, because like for me personally, like they got to be a point where it's like, okay, well, I know how this is gonna go down. <laughs> I mean, like, how'd it go for you? You mean the whole her whole arc to begin with? Well, yeah, pretty I mean, much. Like, like, yeah. Um, I kind I kind of thought Arya's arc was a little disappointing. I thought, I mean, I actually was surprised they cured her blindness as quickly as they did. I thought that was gonna, I thought that was gonna drag on deeper into the season. I'm not disappointed they did that. I think they kind of knew that people would kind of get sick of that, especially, especially her early daredevil training getting pounded by. Uh, by the waif, I I thought I I liked the part when she seemingly was quote unquote being rehabilitated in the you know in the in the eyes of the, you know the the little the faceless man group when she was being sent to kill the you know the lead actress and then right. she kind of like had second thoughts and about kind of had a little more of the old Arya and a little bit more of having some you know standards basically and some ethics about who she was going to kill. I think the only thing I, the only thing I didn't like about Arya's arc was how stupid she was after she decided she was you know she was kind of she was not going to do what the faceless man wanted her to do and she was just blatantly walking around town like strutting her stuff and her money like she was just asking to get stabbed. Yeah, like there was yeah there was definitely a a forced aspect to it because like there was a the point where like she goes to like that you know that little. Uh, Al, you know, alcove, whatever, and like turns out the candle and basically is just waiting. And it's like at that point, like you think, like okay, well, like obviously, like she's waiting for the wave. 
And, like, being blind for, you know, the time that she was, like, yeah, okay, so she's going to be able to fight in the dark while the waif can't. That part, you know, seemed very much, you know, foreshadowed. But, I mean, as far as, like, the next part where she's, yeah, like you said, like, she was just kind of, like, hanging around and let herself get stabbed was very, like, that was, like, a dumb mistake. Right, and and make and no pun intended. Make no mistake, it was a mistake. I mean, the kind of the showrunners I think have mentioned that that it's not like it was a master plan or a trap. It's like no, she she was dumb, she was careless, and that and that I don't know that that's a big that's a big carelessness <laughs> because you could have just been dead. In fact, yeah. you, you realistically she should have been dead. And and little milk of the poppy is it, I don't I don't think that has Wolverine's healing factor in it. <laughs> And plus everything she went through after she, you know, after the waif ended up killing the actress who was who was taking care of her and nursing her back and bringing her back and every all the time the area was running and falling and then she just hap, you know, yeah we understand she kind of was hope ideally she was leading her back to where she hid needle and she oh could, yeah absolutely but that's still a lot that, that still was counting on a whole lot for her to get there <laughs> or be or being positioned. To, I mean, if she hadn't gotten stabbed, it would have been a lot, lot more, a lot more logical plan. But because, I mean, she, I don't. I think, I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the getting stabbed was was dumb. But like leading the waif there, like she was definitely leading her there with the blood, and she knew at that point that, like, you know, because of the way that she had acted and everything like that, like she was probably a little bit better off than she was acting so that the waif would feel overconfident and think, okay, well, basically all I have to do now is waltz over there and kill her. Yes. When meanwhile, like that's what Arya wanted her to think. And then, you know, Laura's there into the dark to rip her face off. Yes. <laughs> you got here. You got your face now. Now, I'm, now I'm not just, a girl, I know, now I'm Arya Stark again and I'm going home, so hey, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I thought the funniest, uh, on Facebook, people are, like, posting, like, it's basically, like, a parallel to Batman. Oh, Arya? Yeah. Yeah, with, like, all of her training and everything like that, and then she goes to, like, you know, train with assassins. <laughs> and instead has to go and, like, you know, fight, like, you know, for actual morals and stuff like that. And then like, stops and takes a, a baking class before she's going home. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so, like, I did not expect to see her in the final episode. Well, yeah, because it was like she used Nightcrawler's teleportation to get back so quick. Yeah, well, that I was looking into, and... It is, it is like, plausible, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, for one thing, they, they always say that the storylines are not taking place... In the same time frame. That's true. So, like all of the all of the other stuff that we saw could have been, you know, taken place like a couple of months ago. But on top of that, like if you look where, um, um, where, where is that place? Oh, with the phrase? Uh, no, that well, I, that's that, that's River Run. But she, where was she at? That was oh, she was in Bravos. Bravos, right? Bravos and River Run are basically like parallel right across the sea from each other. If you look at the uh, the, map. the maps, 
So, I mean, like, if she's going to travel from anywhere to anywhere else, like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a bad, you know, trip to make, especially by boat. So. It was interesting. I think that's the reason why that in the final episode when, when, when it's kind of funny because they mentioned during this episode, and we'll talk about his story too. When they talk about how John's, how John supposedly avenged the Red Wedding, really Arya kind of did more than anybody, <laughs> well, in a way, personally. I mean, uh, at least the Perth, the the architect of it, if you will, uh, with Walder Frey when she finally got to kill Walder Frey by using her, using her faceless man techniques. Even though it's kind of sad because that girl was really cute. She was, she was pretending to be too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was really hoping they were. I was. I kind of was hoping she was like like a spy, but I was. I didn't. I was. I kind of didn't want it to be Arya just because that that girl was was really attractive. And it's also interesting as they point out because earlier in the episode when Bron and Jamie are talking, she keeps making eyes at Jamie, and it's on. And we kind of find we kind of realize after the fact it's like, well, even though Jamie's not really on her list, if she would have had an opportunity to kill Jamie, she would have. <laughs> so luckily, you think? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's what I don't think she was. I don't think she was making eyes at him because she, you know, because she thought he was handsome or anything. I think she was trying to lure him in, even though that wasn't her original plan. I think she was kind of hoping to get a two for one deal. That if she can, if she could kill Jamie, that that was not her. That wasn't her goal. Her goal was obviously to kill Walder Frey. But so she not only she not so the ba- so of course she she kills Walder Frey's sons and put bakes them into a pie. <laughs> Serves the pie to Walder Frey, makes it clear what happened. Then Dan rips off the fake face so he knows that it was a Stark that, a Stark that was that killed him and was smiling as he died. Pay yeah, it's payback pretty much for what happened to Rob and Catelyn. So, yeah. So I mean, like, I guess the 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 big takeaway is that she retained the skill. Oh yeah. I mean, like. You know, I was, I, I don't know, I guess I was thinking that it was the kind of thing where you needed something from Bravos or whatever to do it, or, you know, like you could only do it with the backing of the many-faced god or whatever, but no, like she's able to just become this, you know, this many-faced person or whatever. But it could also possibly be now, now what what is his name? Is it Jakar? Whatever his name is, the the, the faceless man guy. I keep forgetting what his name is. Um, uh, I didn't write him down on my list, and I, I always I, he he he's a name who I always stumble with. But don't yeah. forget, he kind of when she was leaving, when she kind of rejected the being you know just no one again and, and saying who she was and walked away. You know, he smiled at her. So yes. so he, he she may have had even if it wasn't not a verbal approval at the end of the day he may have really internally gave her her bless as far as he was concerned she had his blessings so maybe that potentially factors into why her you know she still was able to do what what she essentially was trained to do but the question yeah, so yeah. so that pretty much was Arya's arc for the year and the question the season the question is like where she's going to go next is she going to go to is she going to go back to Winterfell anytime soon or is she going to continue trying to work on her list um <clears throat> should we do Danny next or do you want to go to John uh well what you call it? the one thing that I will touch on go ahead with uh with Arya is that uh yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it was like Jaken Hagar. That's that's yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, when she first got there to the temple, 
like, you know, he was asking her questions and like, you know, he would know if she was telling the truth or lying. And like one of the things was, it's like, you know, uh, you know, she's like, I want to be a faceless man. And he's like, you're lying. So like, you know, like she's like, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. But like he like knew like freaking every other lie that she was telling. So like, obviously he knew from the very beginning that she was not meant to be a faceless person. That's that's prob that's probably very true as well. So that was just a little a little more foreshadowing that they kind of you know did without even anybody really noticing. Yeah, and they are and they are pretty good at that. Yeah, they 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 they, they do a good job with that. Um. Yeah, let, let me let's go into Danny because Danny will actually cover a lot of other secondary characters. Uh, okay. Yeah, Danny's Danny along with John. I mean, actually, I think Danny, John, and Cersei kind of had the most interesting. Danny and John to me had the most interesting arcs because they, there was a lot, a huge amount of change. Obviously, no, you can't change more than John because you were dead when you started. So just having any kind of story after that <laughs> is a plus. But considering yeah. where John ended up and where he began, you couldn't be much different. But Danny was in a really bad place when the season began too. Cersei, we'll talk about, but Cersei, you know, Cersei was in a worse place than she ended up. Certainly, there's no doubt. But her arc wasn't nearly as interesting. But also because we're not rooting for Cersei. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're rooting for her to fail. Uh, but Danny started off in a bad spot because at the end of last season, you know, when she was on Drogon, he kind of like he kept flying, and unfortunately, he kept flying back to to the Dothraki. <laughs> so yeah. she was basically captured by the Dothraki, and you kind of thought this was going to go really bad because. So first of all, you thought you know, you pretty much thought that you know she could have some you know violation going on with her in the beginning until they realized that she's you know the widow of Khal Drago, so that kind of ended so that ended any potential you know raping of her or anything like that. <laughs> but but instead, you, instead they want to put her in like a wife mausoleum of living women. Yes, yeah, so where all the all the <laughs> the living wives, all the widows of Khal's basically go to hang out and and pretty much that's where they're supposed to live the rest of their their. The rest, the rest of their lives, which of course Danny has no intention of of doing that, and of course Jorah and Dario are in hot pursuit, trying to, uh, and eventually do catch up to her and, and try to, are, are ready to try to rescue her, but of course she has, as usual, Danny kind of has a plan of her own, and I like, and that, and pretty much the way Danny ends up <laughs> escaping is she has her little meeting there with all the with all the calls, pretty much, right, and she just pretty much sets them all on fire. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they were deciding whether or not she should be allowed to stay in the temple or like something far worse. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because there's that joke, death by booga booga. <laughs> right. Have you ever heard of this joke before? I don't think so. <laughs> oh God. It's it's basically like yeah well whatever okay <laughs> that'll be a, the after credit joke <laughs> yeah 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 a after credits to like the next recap episode <laughs> so um, yeah anyway so they're basically you know making lots of threats about her and uh, she like you said she definitely had a plan yeah she's a she knocks like over all the like the all the oil. Con 
that's pretty much for their you know, keeping their flames burning and everything and their torches and pretty much she burn she pretty much burns all the calls alive. She walks out untouched, of course, because it's Danny, uh, naked, which we haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> Surprised everybody. Oh, it's a it's, it must be a body double like like Cersei's horrible one last year. It's like no, that's her. It, it was actually Amelia Clark. <laughs> And she walks out, and now all the widows and all the and all the remaining Dothraki just realize, you know, just are like seeing her walk out, and it's like, oh my god, another one of those, and not the only one we've got. We got this season too of one of those amazing Danny moments, which she has had tons of in the show, where you just, it's just because Danny has it. You can't deny that she has, you know, she she's beautiful, she's smart, and she has charisma, and she has that X factor, which is. Anything related to the fire and the dragons, if if you need to convince somebody that why she should be where she wants to be at the end, it's like she she pulls that out of the fire, but um bum, and she impresses people all the time. So the Dothraki, which are not easy to impress, they pretty much are all they're all willing to 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 follow her now. So she ends up having a cavalry now to march her to match her army, which of the Unsullied. Um, she. Has a nice moment with Jorah. She has a couple of nice moments with Jorah before. Uh, so she seems to actually have f- finally forgiven Jorah now, and she basically tells Jorah he needs to go find a see if he can find a cure for Grayscale, so he can come back and be by her side, pretty much. Uh, right. That's what he. That's what she commands him. That's her order to him, and she knows that he will do anything in his power to to keep to follow any of her orders. So that's pretty much. He didn't have much of a role in the season, but it was kind of cool, and I felt I felt happy for Jorah. I'm sure we'll see him again at some point, but I like I like the fact that at least he got a little bit of closure with her. Um, so that's the end of Jorah's story. On their way back to Marine, which is a, that we have another cool Danny moment because Dan, Danny basically hears Dragon in the background, and not, people. I think Dario kind of knew what it was. Obviously, the Dothraki had no idea what it was, and she kind of rides off on her horse and then comes back, comes back on top of Drogon when he lands in front of them. And if there was any kind of like part of the Dothraki, and they kind of, and you kind of saw it in their faces, where maybe it's like, what's going on here? What are we doing? Maybe this is not the best way. Once they see Danny sitting on top of a dragon, they're pretty much in for the long haul. <laughs> and Dario and the Dothraki pretty much now have to go. On horseback or marching towards Marine, Danny, as we find out, ended up flying back to Marine on Drogon. And during this time, while Marine has been without Danny, uh, Tyrion, Tyrion and Varys, mostly Tyrion, try to basically negotiate with the slavers to try to cut off their support for. Uh, now he just went blank. The Knights of the Harpy, but the Knights of the Harpy, Sons of the Harpy, Sons yeah. of the Harpy. And seemingly it works for a while because you know the you know the, the sons of the harpy seemingly aren't doing much anymore, and it was kind of an agreement where slavery was going to be slowly phased out in the other cities, not an immediate phase out, just to buy them some time, which of course didn't go over too well with uh, Grey Worm and Masande, who was who was horribly underused this season. <laughs> <laughs> I love Masande, and not because of how beautiful Natalie Emanuel is. She had really very little to do this season. Yeah, um, yeah. Most honestly, most everybody in Marine had very little to do. Tyrion didn't have much to do either. This was not a great. The last episode, the t- last two episodes, they had good Tyrion moments, especially with Danny. But the, but honestly, the, he didn't get to do much this season. Peter Dinklage. Yeah. So they make this deal. It seems like things are working, and then all of a sudden they 
is Tyrion's joke trying to joke around with Grey Worm and is joking around with Masande. They find they're all all of a sudden they start getting attacked from Slaver's Bay, and all the slavers have basically sent their ships to attack and try to retake the city. And right on cue, uh, Danny comes back on Drogon, and that's when, like the moment I mentioned before, when she pretty much just wants to lay waste to everybody, but Tyrion gives her that story about what, ha- what her father was going to do, and kind of hinting, or being direct really, saying, I have a plan. What the plan turned out to be was they were going to lure the, the basically the, the leaders of the slavers into a. Essentially, it was a negotiation, but the but they but the slavers thought they were going to the, you know Danny and company were going to surrender to them, but they were really tricking them into tr- telling them you better surrender to us, and they were kind of you know as usual people underestimate Danny, which at this point is always literally the kiss of death, you know as they're trying to play games with them. And, just, and they're making all these threats, like, all oh, the Unsullied have to go back to where they came from, Masande's going to have to go back, you know, we're going to kill the dragons, all this crap. And that's a good way, and that's the one thing you don't want to mess around with with Danny. I mean, she doesn't want to hear any of that, but when you start threatening the dragons, that, then you know you're going to, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> so right then, you know, and, and we as the audience members, kind of, you know, we, you know we, we see it from behind. <clears throat> But we see Drogon fly back. He, you know, he comes back behind her. She gets she gets on Drogon. He flies off. Then all of a sudden, the other two dragons, which Tyrion freed earlier in the season, but really didn't go anywhere. Or well, they, he just un, undid the shackles. Yes, he unchained them, so they technically... I don't think... But I think they were free to go. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that they... Because, like, <clears throat> with, with the place that they were, like, locked into, like, didn't really have, like, any open doors or anything like that. Well, they you well know. as we, maybe maybe that's true. But either way, as we found out in this episode, if they really wanted to get out, they could have. Because <laughs> once because once D- Danny's flying around on Drogon, and maybe because they sense that their big brother and their mother are back, they just they physically crash out of where they were being kept under the under Marine. And a pretty cool moment when the dragons pretty much and they're smart, and this is part of Tyrion's strategy, no doubt, that they pretty much lay waste to a bunch of ships, but not all the ships. <laughs> Right. And as Tyrion says, well, we thank you for the ships because then she, our queen does love her ships. <laughs> and pretty much in a cool moment, too, with the slavers that, you know, they they pretty much they say one of, one of you has to die, Grey Worm pretty much tells them. And they all volunteer this one guy who <laughs> the sucker of the group, seemingly he drops to his knees and dropping to his knees, either just by doing the gesture or just because he's out of the out of reach. You know, Grey Worm takes his takes his knife and just goes right across both the other two slavers' throats. So he kills the other two that were willing to get, put up their friend. And well, pre- it was because he was the uh, the friend was uh, a lowborn. That is you true know, too. That like, is kill true. Kill him. He's a lowborn. He's not highborn like like us. That's true. That is the reason why they they were willing to make him a sacrificial lamb. But more or less, and that's, he, that's why he was saved. And plus, to deliver the message. Yeah. You always have to have somebody to go back and let people know what ha- what happened here, and that was part, that was that's what his role. I think that that might have been why he, in particular, was singled out not to be killed. But yes, that's but he had a role. That his role was to go back and tell everybody else what happened here, and unless they want it to happen to them, they better get basically get their ass in line. And with that, pretty much, you know, D- Danny has a, a a big bunch of ships. Danny's sh- navy was also aided by the fact that. And I'll wrap the Greyjoy into this quickly. That Theon and his sister Yara, who Theon, Theon, who in the beginning of the season, last end of last season, helped Sansa escape, and he still was with Sansa earlier in this season. But then he separates from Sansa. 
uh, once uh, Lady Brienne and Pod rescue rescue them, and then and Theon pretty much make makes a break to go back home, and he goes back home, and uh, his father ends up getting killed by his uncle Yulon, who just arrives out of the you know he's been at sea away for a while, and he comes back, and Yara, it is Yara, right? I think so. I think so. Uh, Theon's sister, pretty much. First, she thinks Theon wants to basically cop her claim to the throne, but that's not that's not what he wants. He pretty much wants to help her uh, take the throne. That she, he feels that she's the one who's worthy of it, not him. But of course, at this point, you know, it's it's as we find out throughout the show, uh, that is a pretty much a patriarchal line of succession, pretty much in all these houses. So the uncle. So in a way, since Theon, they don't see Theon because of uh, his, what unfortunately what uh, <laughs> what what Mr. Bolton did to him. So his his lack of a male appendage, <laughs> they don't really see him. As, and plus he was captured and everything else. They don't really see him as a viable heir. So they'd rather take the uncle of the of the king that was there as opposed to the female child of the king. And essentially, Yara, Yulon gets the throne. He's 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 ruling the Iron Islands. Theon and Yara know they're going to get killed if they stay anyway, so they steal the best, a bunch of the best ships that are available now since Yulon has this grand plan to build hundreds of ships to sail off to Marine and kind of like make this deal and marry Danny and all this stuff. So Yara, Yara and Theon kind of cut them off at the pass on that level. They take the ships that they have. They arrive at Marine. They make a deal with Danny they, you know, that the ships are going to be theirs as long as they support their claim to the Iron Islands. And of course, Danny makes sure they, you know, that they have to agree not to do the raiding and the raping and all the things that they pretty much were great, great joy uh, <laughs> standards. And they agree to that, so they have an, they have an alliance. So Danny has ships from there, and as we find out at the, also at the end of the season, which we didn't, which is kind of bookends because we saw we saw Dorne in the beginning of the episode, and we didn't see them again for the entire season. That uh, Oberyn's brother gets killed by what? A, what? Alaria a is that her name? Um, Alaria, something like that. Yeah, well, no, you're right. It wasn't his sister. It was uh, the the Oberon's. Yeah, no, no, I didn't say it was his sister. I said it was. I know, I know. Yeah, it's Alaria. I think it's Alaria Sand. I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, uh, Oberon's, his girlfriend. It wasn't his wife. It's his mistress. Uh, The and it was the father, the mother, excuse of of at least some of the sand snakes there. That pretty much she offs Oberon's brother. After killing, after you know, killing uh, Marcella Lannister last season, so they basically Sand and, and the Sand Snakes are essentially ruling Dorne. That comes back into play at the end of the season, where they make it, where along with the Tyrells, and we'll talk about them. Uh, the Diana Rigg, the <laughs> I love Diana Rigg, her character. She's awesome as uh, Lady Tyrell there. Oh yeah. Uh, the uh, that basically the Tyrells and the and the Martells, if you will, the Sands really, but the Dorn, Dorn, and Highgarden, thanks to Varys who kind of disappears from uh, Marine towards the end of the season, going off in a mission, and, uh, and his mission was to go to Dorn. They're pretty much Dorn and and the Highgarden, the Tyrells, ally themselves with Danny because at the end of the, of the final episode, when Danny finally, after six seasons, is sailing off, you know, to Westeros. We see Targaryen flags. We see Greyjoy flags. We see, I'm, we see Dorne flags. Do we see? 
do we see flags from High Garden? Because I don't remember yes. if we did. I, that's yes. what I thought we did. So yeah. pretty much, the, Danny's got an armada of different houses, along with her dragons. It's one of the cool moments of the season too. Oh yeah. When they, I mean, just the look on everybody's face. I mean, the- Theon seems a little concerned, but that's maybe because looking at you know what's going to happen to him down the road, because his fate's probably not going to be good based on what you know what he did to get in that position. He may be looking for redemption, but he's probably he may get it, but he's probably not going to live <laughs> afterwards. But you see everybody, you see, it's kind of cool seeing, you know, Grey Worm and Unsullied on, on the boats along with the Dothraki, and and it's, it's a really cool moment, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like gloomy, but it's, but it's not, but it, it's like, it's, it's getting dark, it's kind of gloomy outside, but it's not, but you feel really kind of uplifted, because this is kind of what Danny's been building towards, and you see Danny grow so much from where she was to where she is now. Yeah. Which also, as we'll get into John, that's what John has in common too. He's changed a lot too, as opposed to Cersei, who pretty much is the same exact person, making the same exact decisions and paying the same exact prices for it. But, but I've rambled on about about Danny. So, what were your thoughts of that, or anything that I missed before we talk about some other aspects of the season? Um, basically, just that. Uh, I think some of my favorite moments were between Varys and Tyrion. You know, like when when Varys had to leave to go to Dorne, and you know he's like, you know, it's like, and Tyrion says to him, it's like, you know, it's like I'm, you know, I think that I'll I'll, I'll miss you, my friend, or something like that, and it's like, it's like, oh man, he's like, I'm gonna miss him too. I hope he's not gone for long. And sure enough, he wasn't. He was back by the end of the next episode, but it was like, yeah, it was like, man, that interaction because you had like two of like the smartest people on the show. Like just going back and forth with each other, so that was really cool. And I don't know, like. Uh... And plus, they worked so well together, even back when they were trying to, you know, back when he was when Tyrion was the hand, hand, you know, was acting as oh, yeah. was the acting hand of the king, and they were trying to prevent, you know, prepare for Stannis's arrival. That just the fact that they worked so they worked so well together. I like I like that the whole you know final moment with with Danny and Tyrion. At that, the temple. That was oh when he when she made him hand to the queen. Yes. That was yeah. that was yeah, that was a great that I don't mean to cut you off. That was mm-hmm. that was a great scene because you could really I he Peter Dinklage really sold that scene because you could see the the emotion in his eyes of of Tyr, in Tyrion's eyes playing that role when when and they do have a they do have a good connection and and Danny is really because and because I've heard people say. And this is where there are a lot of theories that people come up with tons of theories in about the show. And I've heard this all throughout the season. People were saying this, and I think it's an, another example of people seeing what they want to see and connecting only the dots they want to see. But I heard people say that, oh, you know, Danny's like she's becoming her father. You know, she's becoming mad and she's leaning in that direction, which I never saw. I mean, I, I mean, just because you know she, just because she's a tough broad doesn't mean doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not you, you don't want to mess with her. Doesn't mean that she's incapable of. Of being rational, and she and she proved throughout the you know throughout since certainly since Tyrion showed up that she's willing to listen, and the best example of that was like we talked about when she showed up back in Marine right during the attack of the slavers. It would have been real easy for her to just lay waste to them, especially because she could have been really really pissed at Tyrion. It's like I haven't even been gone that long. I come back, my city's under siege. So yeah. when he's trying to stop her and say and essentially give her advice, it's like. I'm going to do things my way, and then after the fact, then we'll talk. She could have said that very easily and been really totally justified in doing it. 
but she didn't. She 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 listened to his story, and then what we, and whatever the plan you know the plan that went into action that we eventually saw, she listened to it. So she's learned a lot, and she's not and she's and you see a lot of that in her relationship with Tyrion. And I think maybe because she also because maybe because they're both kind of on their own in a way that, and also because it took a lot of guts for him to be able to basically turned against his family no matter how crappy they have been to him so yeah but they yeah but they yeah, yeah I think the stuff as usual I mean maybe next season will change this because up until this point we really have gotten a lot less of Danny because Danny's story is a long range story it's it's there's not much to tell in a season by season because we have because Danny has to get to a certain place but all these other events have to happen before Danny can come home. <laughs> so that's why her story has been played out the way it has. And so often, you know, we don't, throughout the six seasons, that we don't see Danny to like, you know, the last 10 minutes of the episode or something. And that she has a really cool moment. And she had tons of good moments this season. The moment on the, like I said, the moment sailing away at, you know, towards, towards Westeros at the end of the episode, which is beautiful because of how it's sandwiches in between, you know, Cersei's bad meat in, in that sandwich. You have the John stuff, which we'll talk about. You got Cersei, and then you have, and then you have Danny. So Danny kind of gives you the high, you know, leaves it on a high point. And you had the drag, all the stuff with the dragons and walking out after she burned the calls. You know, she had a lot of moments this season, but she's always had a lot of big moments. And hopefully next season we'll actually see more of her because of the fact she'll actually... All I mean, all these pieces are coming into play and being put on the same board, which is finally Westeros, and not being scattered throughout. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that was one of the things that I was thinking about as far as like, you know, and we'll touch more upon this later. But like going forward, like they're not really going to have any reason to show us like Essos anymore. No, probably not. So. That's a little. That's a little disappointing. Yeah, because I mean, it was interesting. The marine, the marine stuff was really interesting, I mean, it, and it and it played a real. It kind of played a major role in shaping her for for you know who she is now and where she wants to be. I think, but I also think, and we'll talk about this in some of our when we get to the predictions of what we think is going to happen. That I do think what Dario said to her when they were riding back with with the Dothraki before she got on Drogon. I think it's going to be very telling in the fact that when she pointed out, he pointed out, excuse me, that at her essence, she's a conqueror. That maybe more more than even being a ruler, I think that personally, she's a conqueror. And I think right. that plays, and that plays, I think that plays into what her eventual, what her fate is going to be, I think, in this, in the final, in the final, you know, 13 to 15 episodes we're going to get of the show. That I think that will factor into who's sitting where at the end because, and it's not because it has nothing to do with her, her being incapable of being a ruler or even being able to settle into a more pedestrian lifestyle considering everything she's gone through. I mean that certainly would seem it could seem very boring to her to begin with because of everything all all the struggles it took her to get to that point. You know, kind of like the eye of the tiger kind of thing. It's that getting to fighting your way to winning something and getting to the top is you know is really. That that is really more satisfying, along with the few moments of glory that you get once you finally achieve your goal. But after you achieve it, then it's not necessarily the same. You know, the rise is often more, you know, the climb is often more in, exciting or worth the effort than actually when you get to the top. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's going to factor in, into into, Dan, into to Danny's fate too. 
but yeah, she's. But I do. I'm, I will miss Maureen. But it's the good thing is she, other than Dario, who she we didn't mention, she did leave Dario behind to pretty much to take care of you know the city and to protect now, which is no longer Slavers Bay, which is the Bay of Dragons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but basically, she was he was left behind the same way in a way. Even though there was a little more political reason for leaving, when Tyrion advised her to leave Jorah behind, it's the same kind of thing that you can't that he didn't. The Tyrion really was the one behind this, but Danny agreed to it and didn't really feel too broken up really about it. That mm-hmm. not to bring basically you're you're coming. You can't really bring a lover with you when you're heading when you're heading back to Westeros, especially if you end up having the need to marry. Which she said you may need to marry someone from another house in order to keep, you know, to make alliances and keep going forward. That she really can't have somebody, you know, somebody looking behind the scenes who's kind of jealous and potentially causing a problem. So that's the real reason, and the fact that much like Jorah, she knew that she can trust Dario to follow her orders. So, so he's kind, of, he's kind of left behind. So, the, which wasn't easy, in a way, but it was easy on, on another level for Danny because she, Danny is a big picture person. There's no doubt that Danny has, Danny has an end game, and Danny, you know, so on that level, on that level, Danny is. If she acted differently, you could say she would. You, She'd be the kind of person you wouldn't want to have the power because she wants it so much and she thinks that she has a right to it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Hillary Clinton, if you will, leaving politics aside but just analyzing the person. You know, she's thinking that she's entitled to it and that she spends her whole life and sacrifices everything and her whole essence to get it. But but Danny doesn't come across – Danny thinks she she's entitled to it to a certain extent, but Danny – but Danny's not going to – seemingly not going to let it go to her head and she's got people around her who will help rein her in. So I think that's, but we'll see because obviously that pay, that's part of her story has yet to come. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about John? Or do you want? Or do you want? Because it's up to you. I mean, I, I'm monopolizing, this, which I'm okay. okay with, but I don't want, but I don't want you to feel left out. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about John. So we start out the season and he's dead. <laughs> the <And> end. <laughs> they didn't actually bring him back to life until what was the, the third? third episode like the second very end, end, of the, end of the second end of the second okay, episode. end of the second episode so yeah yeah they bring him back with uh by through melisandre's blood magic you know shadow magic whatever and he he has to execute the people that that murdered him <laughs> it's a funny concept it is funny he came back to life yeah so you know, they had some really good moments, you know, like when he was dead and like they're waiting for him to come back to life, you know, and like there's the moment where like Ghost kind of picks up on it first. I love that moment. That's awesome. He gets that little little wine and he comes over to him and he just – and he gets right next to him. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, so let's see. After that, you know, he, he, he wipes them out and then – uh, at that point, was it that point that Sansa shows up? Like, or... yeah, Sansa. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. This, this, yeah, Sansa shows up right around that, right around that time because Sansa right. and Brienne and and what Podrick, right? They all they show yes. up because after 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 Brienne rescues, saves Sansa and Theon, and Theon of course helps too from uh, some of Bolton's men that were trying to capture them and bring them back. That uh. They end up going to to uh, Castle Black, where you have a really cool reunion with Sansa. Right. So yeah. So now you've got Jon Snow, and like he knows that they've got like barely, you know, barely anybody, 
and they have to unite the the North. And the only one that's going to do that is, you know, like um, the House Stark. Like that's, you know, that's who everybody remembers. So they got to go around and they have to unite the North and basically take back Winterfell from the Boltons. You know, because if the Boltons, like for one thing, they're not going to beat them on their own. And, you know, like if, if they don't unite, unite the entire North, then they're still not going to beat like the White Walkers and, you know, and that whole army of the dead. So, you know, they go out and we get that amazing moment with uh, Lady Marmot. The, the best character, the best new character of the season, Lady Marmot, is awesome. <laughs> How old is she? like 11 years old or so? I think the character is supposed to be 10, I think. But, again, but 10 or 11, either way. But, yeah, she, she's this little, the little girl who basically is running uh, what Bear Island now. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and she's the one who sent the who sent the rejection letter to Stannis like last season when Stannis was asking for their support, and when she sent she sent them the little saying that like uh like Bear Island knows no king in the like knows knows no king but the king of the north whose name is Stark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, so she pledges her like fifty six men or whatever, something like that, something ridiculous, and they they just you know they're going around they unite as many people as they can and Sansa knows that it's not going to be enough so like she ends up calling in help from Littlefinger but she doesn't tell John so John goes into battle against uh oh Ramsey 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 Bolton that you know the name just flew out of my head and you know they have that was the the battle of the bastards cuz you know they're both bastards and oh wait was it it was this. Was it this season that uh, Ramsey also? Yes, 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 killed? yes, yes. Yeah. Go ahead, mention that. So yeah, so Ramsey's father comes in with the good news that his newest wife has just given birth, and it's to a son. So you know he makes like this remark to Ramsey. Was it? It's Ramsey Bolton. Yes. And what, what was a? Bruce. What was the phone? Bruce. Bruce. Right. So he makes a comment, it's like, don't worry, you know, you'll still be my, you know, my, my firstborn son or whatever like that. So something to kind of like, you know, like, please don't kill me. And Ramsey, of course, kills him anyway. And then has his wife and new baby killed. So there are no, no, nobody else, uh, you know, shooting for the throne. And how are they killed, Jim? <laughs> oh, Dogs. <laughs> Yes. Definitely dogs. Yes. Uh, Which is apropos based on <laughs> Ramsey's story. Except for Roos. Roos was poisoned. <laughs> Not really. No, no. <laughs> That's what they tell everybody. Uh, so, yeah, so Ramsey, he's making alliances on his own, and one of those alliances actually nets him uh, one of the Stark boys. Rickon. Rickon, yeah, Rickon. So they uh, – and how do they know that it's Rickon? Because they bring the severed head of the direwolf. They just love so, killing direwolves on this show. Yeah, yeah. So it looked kind of small to be a direwolf, but I guess we'll go with it. So uh, so yeah, finally you know, we get to the second to last episode of the season, Battle of the Bastards. Jon Snow, he uh, – him and you know the – like his, um, like Lady Mormont and Sansa and uh, Davos. Davos. 
they basically go and they meet with uh, with Bolton, and you know they're like, you know, instead of uh, having this big battle, why don't we just have a one on one fight and save all their lives, you know? And of course, Ramsey's like, well, hell no, <laughs> like I'm not going to beat you that way. I'll beat you this way. So they they have the big battle, and like at first, like they're doing okay, but it's still kind of like it's like a two to one fight. So, like, uh, Jon Snow eventually, like, you know, his his band of men is getting kind of wiped out, they're surrounded, they're getting, you know, cut down, and that's when Littlefinger's, you know, Vale army comes in and uh, helps take the, the battle, they, you know, they go and uh, they rush into uh, Winterfell along with uh, the giant... One one, yes, I think that's his name. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, so like they, they rush in there and like you know they're battling and everything like that, and they like the the Boltons end up killing one one, but they you know they still take uh, Castle Black, uh, not Castle Black, um, Winterfell, Winterfell. So, Jon Snow wins and. <laughs> And they they execute uh, Ramsey Bolton in a, a a very nice way. How do they do that, Mark? They ex- well, it is Sansa who actually <laughs> who pretty much, and now John leaves pretty much. John kind of like I think is leaving it for Sansa to finish him off because John John beats the living shit out of Ramsey and he's this close to killing him and all by hand. He's he's close to killing him, but then Sansa then he notices that Sansa's there and looking at them, and so he stops. But Sansa goes to visit Ramsay, who's all who's all tied up, and he's and basically Ra- Ramsay gets finished off the same way he finished off mul- multiple characters during his run on the show, and his uh, his last stepmother and a baby brother by Ramsay's own dogs, who who Ramsay of course volunteered during or earlier in the meeting, <laughs> or a meeting before like the day before the battle, how is because he was going to feed them to his dogs so they hadn't eaten in a week. So that information made its way kind of like in, to Sansa and remembered it, and Sansa basically pretty much she let uh, his Ramsey's dogs come in. He, and he's, mind you, he's bloody and he's, and, he's, and he's beaten and everything, so they start sensing the blood and they lick it and then they start ripping into him and they, and they pretty much eat him alive mm-hmm. in a, an appropriate death for Ramsey Bolton, who turned out to be one of the worst villains on the show. <laughs> yeah. Probably more hated than Cersei, at least up until now. Maybe, uh, Argu- arguably, arguably, uh, he was know, bad. He, he was... was bad, but I would say, you know, like, okay. So here's the top villains. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll go cool. back to we'll go back to Winterfell in a minute. But the top villains are uh, Ramsay, Cersei, um, Joffrey, Joffrey, and I would say uh, Baratheon. Oh, Robert? No, not Robert. Oh, Stan- uh, Stannis. Stannis. Was... I mean, like, you know, for what he did in last season. Yeah, see, it, it is kind of... We won't discuss that because that was last season. Well, actually, we'll tie into yeah. the final, you know, the final parts of Winterfell, actually. But, but uh, yeah, Stannis, I think, did come across better from what I hear in the books. And Stannis, at least, for what... Stannis just had this really black and white way of looking at things, and he's and based on the theory, well, based on the logic, let's moving Daenerys' claim to the throne aside, 
let's move the Targaryen aspect, push it aside. Technically, Stannis was correct that since none of Robert's kids were actually Baratheons, <laughs> he really was the heir to the Baratheon throne. So he actually w was completely right in his claim, but because he was so right, because he viewed that as doing the right thing and that taking the throne was the proper thing to do for that reason, that he didn't care how he did it. And that's what that, and he saw things way too, it was like, oh, this is mine, I'm going to take it. If he's, he and you can see the difference between him and Danny. Because you go back, Stannis should have Stannis should have tried to ally himself more with, and he kind of did, but in a half-assed way with Renly before he took care of him. He absolutely should have allied himself with with Rob instead of making this crap. Oh, I he he uh, I got to be the king of all seven kingdoms, and he's basically trying to cut into my action, even though Rob never made any claims like he wanted anything other than basically getting revenge on the Lannisters for what they did to his father. Right. You know, so I, I, they, that was a that was a natural alliance just because of the fact that Baratheons and Starks were had been allied before. It was natural. So for him to see, you know, when he had the Red Woman throw those leeches into the, you know, into the fire and, and Rob Stark be one of the one one of the kings that he wanted killed, that was moronic. And that that was just that, but that's because of his tunnel vision. But I, I don't know. I kind of I think you can make a case that Tywin Lannister was a worse villain than than Stannis. And Walder Frey too. Walder Frey did a lot of bad, but he—he's a small, a small. Even though it had a big impact on the on the story, Walder Frey was a smaller fish. Uh, but I think Tywin, you would have with all the shit that Tywin has done, including organized the Red Wedding. I think Tywin probably, because I still I felt bad for Stannis only because, certainly up until he burned Shireen. I that, mean that's the thing. Like, yeah, that's, that's the point of no return. There's no doubt the about that. You can't. You yes. don't come back from that. Yeah, I agree with you. That's like a beyond parallax kind of moment. See, we did work Green Lantern into this ever so slightly. <laughs> there uh, you go. <laughs> that, that's the point of no return. But but up to that point, you know, Stan, you know, Stannis was trying. You know, he was trying to do the right thing. He and because of what he thought, he thought what he thought the right thing was, and he didn't really care how he went about it. And that's part of the problem. The end always justified the means. To Stannis, he seemed like he was being a little. He may have. That's why I think it was. It was done on purpose to make you think he was kind of being a little more flexible. Like after he got the backing of Bravos and they got the got the mercenaries and they landed in the north and 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 all that stuff. It seemed like he and he did. And to be fair, he did try to get some of the houses of the north to join with him. He not by force, but trying to talk them into it. He tried to legitimize John as a Stark and land, and make him you know Lord of Winterfell if you join me and all these. So he he seemed to be getting better at it, but then he got so desperate because of what happened. You know at the end. Right before the, the battle, with the Boltons, how they got decimated and and all and the, all their siege weapons were destroyed, and he got so desperate that, and plus it didn't help that, you know, but Melisandre there was kind of feeding, making him believe things because she did believe it, but she was just basically reading the prophecy wrong. Right. So, yeah. Which probably is a nice segue into. Do you want to segue? You want me to do it, or you want to segue into her and Davos and? Oh. Oh, uh, well, yeah, okay, so before we do that, um, I, since we didn't actually witness the death of Stannis, like, there's still some possibility that he might still be alive. Mm, I, I don't, I guess, based on that theory that we, yeah, until you see somebody dead, there's a chance, but I think, I, I think it's all but, all but, 
he's about as dead as you can be without seeing the body. Let's put it that way. Because Bri- well, yeah. Because we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because Brienne is Brienne had no reason to show him mercy. Even if she didn't kill him, the Boltons would have probably found him. So, and they would have, and they definitely would have. You know, he would have he would have tortured Endor and then killed him just as a as a sim, as a symbol. So. Uh, and I thought there was something in the story, or I thought it was confirmed somewhere, somebody from the Bolton side that Stannis, that Stannis was dead, which would indicate they found his body. But either, but either way, but you were right. I was, I was kind of hoping maybe he wouldn't be dead, but on some level, but. Or it could very well be that he did die and then was brought back. Who Stannis? Yeah. Yeah, but who was going to bring him back? I maybe he was just brought back. Maybe maybe somebody brought him back. That just happened to be like I mean like the thing is since we didn't see a body, and then also the fact I mean like you know he's in the north like his body's just kind of hanging around in the north, you know like nobody's like actively seeking him out to bury him, like he either could be alive, he could be dead in the middle of the wilderness, and you know maybe like White Walkers will come up to him or whatever. Yeah, that that you part that part I could that part I could see that part I could but, see. Like I mean, like the possibility of him still being alive, I think is is definitely you know something out there. But regardless of that, during the Battle of the Bastards, uh, Davos ends up finding Shireen's little wooden like antler deer um, stag, yep, stag that he had you know whittled away for her. And uh, oh yeah, that was the, the sigil of their house, wasn't it? Yes, that's a yeah the Barat. Yeah, the Baratheon symbol is the stag. Obviously, Stannis's was a little different because it had the fire behind it, like the you know, they got the because of his right. power, pretty much. Or what? Or but um, uh, Mel- Melisandre was kind of feeding him. But yes, that's the difference between the regular Baratheon house symbol. But so um, yeah, so he finds this and realizes that they burned her alive, and he confronts her about it in front of Jon Snow. You know, after they've just uh, they've just won, and you know, like she was the one that brought him back to life, and she's like, you know, she basically, you know, killed this this little girl who I love like my own, you know, like she was my own daughter, and, you know, like you gotta like kill her, let me execute her, whatever, and uh, she's like, you know, she did like she made a good point, like she's like, well, you know, she's like I was wrong. You know, I, I, you know, it wasn't uh, the Lord of Light that was wrong. It was me that was wrong, you know. And, you know, you want to blame me for, you know, killing this kid. Well, her mother and father agreed. You know, like, they right. went along with it, you know. Yeah, it was a good point. Kind of, it's a very good point. Like, you know, okay, well, there's only so much that you can blame on the priestess. You know, like, very much so, like, okay, well, the parents are, you know, they're the ones you really have to point the finger at. So, you know, uh, so Jon Snow basically casts her out and just, you know, tells her if you're ever, you know, if you're ever in the North again, I'll kill you. Which Davos, of course, echoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, you'll be, you'll be executed, you know, it's like, and I'll, I'll put you, you know, I'll put you to death by my own hand or something like that. And she did, so, and she did try to make her point that I that basically she still had a role to play in the war to come, that she yeah. you know that she could help and things like that and right. But that but that was that was the other part of her argument to try to sway them. But John is again John's a pretty moral guy, so he pretty much cast her out. Yeah. So um, 
you know, and then the other thing that we get in that scene is like, oh, in the last episode, you have Littlefinger talking to um, uh, Sansa. Sansa, and uh, you know, he says he's like, you know, who who do you think that the North is going to back? You know, a natural-born Stark or a bastard? And uh, you know, like he's basically saying, it's like what I want is, you know, for me and you to be sitting on the Iron Throne together as king and queen. So, and he's like, you know, that's that's why I do everything that I do. So, he goes to kiss her, Sansa backs away, and is just like, well, that's, you know, that's a nice picture, I gotta go. And then, like, in, like, the Great Hall, like, you know, they're talking about what they have to do, and everybody's a little, like, you know, shaken. And then, once again, Lady Mormont, comes up and she's like, you know, it's like, I, you know, this is the, you know, this is the king of the north. I don't care if he's a bastard, you know, he's, uh, he's the one true king of the north and, you know, I'll follow him, you know, and you, you should all be ashamed for, you know, for not, you know, you bunch of, a bunch of assholes. So basically everybody's shamed by this like 11 year old and, uh, you know, like they all end up pledging, you know, pledging their houses and lives to, the true king of the north, Jon Snow. The white wolf. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the young wolf, which of course was Rob Stark. <laughs> As appropriate, of course, the white wolf also because of, because a ghost, not that ghost is there. <laughs> the dead wolf. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, if, if anything, hopefully ghost will be the one dire wolf that survives, which would kind of make sense. Um, well, Arya's, uh... It's, yes, Arya's is out there somewhere, but Nimia yeah. or Nerea, yeah, she's still, she's still alive. She's the only other one that's unaccounted for, I think, other than Ghost. But Ghost, hopefully Ghost is, Ghost's fate will mirror his, his master's fate. Or his, her. Is it a her or his? Is it him, right? I thought Ghost, Ghost was a Ghost is man. a boy. Yeah, I thought Ghost was a boy. Yeah, yeah, hopefully their fates will be intertwined and, uh... Yeah, I think, the thing that was cool about Lady Mormont's speech, and it, what's the, the, it was really effect. The thing that I liked, and, and I thought about this before, John. John is a he's a good leader. He's not a great leader at this point. He's not really a good orator. He's not a he's not a rah rah kind of leader. John, when when John is trying to rally people, he basically he uses the logical approach or the intellectual approach. It's like this this is the problem. This is why we need to do this. And sometimes that works with people, but sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> like we saw when, when they went to go see Lady Mormont, both he and Sansa tried kind of different tactics you know, to appeal to her, but it didn't work. The only person that was able to appeal to her was Davos by kind of playing off the fact that you know he's in a place that he never imagined he would be in and he didn't feel necessarily comfortable with like she was. Plus he treated her like an adult, not, not like a kid. Right. And that worked with her. And that helped get Lady Mormont on their side. Then it kind of, which, which kind of pays even extra dividends now, because when they were having that meeting in Winterfell, it's Lady Mormont who steps up when after John kind of tries to speak again and he tries to explain what's coming and what they need, why they need to do this. And that's another way that Davos was able to convince her too, by talking about how the dead was, the dead were coming and things like that. But when she's giving her speech, you know that she's, she's. She does what John can't. You know, she yes, she's going for the guilt and appealing to the fact that there are, especially the houses, the three houses in particular that did that. Jo- that one we saw John deal with, one we didn't. 
most of the other two we didn't see John deal with. The one we saw John try to get to come to their side, he and Sansa were, were rejected outright. That she's playing to the fact that, you know, you didn't, that playing on their guilt that they didn't, and their loyalty, the fact that when they really needed you to try to fight the Boltons, despite what the Boltons did to you, that you basically weren't willing to step in, step up and do what you should have done based on your loyalty. And that, that is what's touched the nerve. And then something which I don't think most of us expected. I mean, yeah, they might have allied themselves, but proclaiming John King of the North was pretty, the King of the North, that was kind of, which again, as some people have pointed out, this kind of, kind of, Bookends in a way of uh, how season one kind of ended on some levels with Rob becoming king in the north, just like Tyrion becoming, you know, a, a, an active hand uh, of a king or a queen, things like that. So, and it's cool thing. And now, what do you? Now here's an opinion question here. What do you think about Sansa and John? Do you think there's going to be a lot of problems between them? Because I know a lot of people are thinking there's going to be, and I know obviously that's what Littlefinger was trying to. He was trying to get that needle in. To try to, to work, but me, I don't see it really. I don't see it's likely because Sansa seemed genuinely happy when Lady Mormont was speaking. When people were rallying around John, she was really happy. She was smiling. She was looking at John. The only thing that took the smile off her face was when she locked eyes with Littlefinger, right? Which was more to me because she thought Littlefinger was going to be a problem. And uh, yeah, and I, I think I mean like. I don't think that there's going to be an issue between Sansa and Jon Snow. Um, but I mean, with Littlefinger, like, uh, like that's, that's a real wild card now because like he really, like, you know, he's always planning and plotting to make his next move. So like, you know, that he was trying to, you know, marry her, like make her the, you know, the, Queen of uh, Winterfell, marry her, so he becomes the Lord of the North, and you know, like that, real that would have been a much bigger stepping stone. Then he could, like, you know, he'd have the army to take over everything, blah blah blah. And now, since he doesn't have that, like, what kind of, you know, allies he's going to, you know, get with or whatever. I mean, like, I guess what we're probably looking at is some sort of alliance between the Lannisters, the um, the Iron Islands, and maybe the Vale. I don't know. That's about that's about all that's left for them. Uh, all three of them. That's about if they're looking for outside allies. That's about all they can really hope for. But but what's interesting? But see, Littlefinger, in a way, I mean, this doesn't mean he can't scheme. But short term, as he kind of pointed out to Sansa when he was trying to convince her. When he was talking about, oh, news of this battle is going to, you know, sp spread quickly, and the fact that uh, I, that I've, you know, that I've announced, you know, for, for House Stark, and everyone's going to know it, and that these things are all true. So that's going to make it. So he really can't walk that back anytime soon. He's going. He could be a grudging ally, but he's got to still be technically an ally. And then you got to look at what's out there for him. Yes, probably for him, the Greyjoys might be a possibility. Maybe the Lannisters. I don't know because he knows what Cersei is. And, that is, and he and he didn't didn't exactly have a great relationship with Cersei, and she's the friggin' queen now. So it may not be he it may not be in his best interest even to ally himself with her too. But then again, he may be afraid of not allying. So, yeah, he's he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a wild card. The Greyjoys will be somewhat a wild card, but I don't think they're gonna be a long term threat because it's you know at the end they're, they're pretty much a navy. So I I the Greyjoys have never been able to do much. 
really. Mm-hmm. So they, they, besides, we know at the end of the day, the White Walker stuff is what's going to have to be wrapped up probably in the final season. So whatever the Grey Droids are going to be, that, that's probably going to be a, a season seven issue that's going to be dealt with and pushed aside. But I do like how some people said, oh, you know, da- Danny might not make it to Westeros anytime soon because the Grey Droids might intercept her. And it's like, well, the Iron Islands are on all on the completely on the other side of Westeros in the north. Yes, Yara and Theon made it there a little pretty quickly. Um, but the fact that the fact that Varys was able to make it to Dorne and back and not have any and not see any ships kind of is a pretty probably a good indicator that they're not that close. <laughs> uh, but I guess it could happen. I guess it would be a wild card. Plus we but we also don't know where Danny's landing. You know, we don't know that Danny's heading to King's Landing. She probably really isn't. She could land in Dorne. She could land in a lot of other places. She may not be directly going to King's Landing. Yeah, it, it really wouldn't make sense to go straight there, especially when, like now with uh, with Highgarden and Dorne as allies, like you have a lot of coast that you can land on and dock your boat safely, you know, as opposed to just kind of like storming King's Landing. Especially having uh, Tyrion... And Varys there knowing what you know how they defended something like that last time, there's always a chance it could be defended right. like that again. Yeah. I I do agree. Now, if they decided for some reason not to go to Dorne, but to go to try to go what what to the Reach, I think it is to go to High Garden, then you could then you could possibly see how they could get, possibly get in, run into the Grey Joys and and Yulon's desire for an ally before they actually would make landfall, just because that's a, that's on the right side. Well, technically it's the left side, but it's the correct side of Westeros to be running into the Greyjoys naturally. That makes that would make more sense. But again, if the Greyjoys tried anything, I mean, they still have the dragons. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that's, that's why I don't. That's why I don't think that's going to be the immediate issue, like the first thing they're going to bump into. And plus, she he wants to be allies with. He wants to be allies with Danny first. Um, but yeah, they still have the dragons. So no matter what, the, I mean, so that's. But I agree. Littlefinger's he he's his hands are kind of tied, and but he also doesn't know what's coming with Daenerys, and of course he's not going to be thrilled when he finds out Varys is allied with Daenerys, because those two always have that little chess match that's going. So Littlefinger will be obviously a key player, a key player to watch next season. Um, related to John, I mean we might as well tie this into Bran uh, before we go to the stuff at uh, King's Landing and deal with everybody else who we really haven't dealt with. Um, oh, God. we got to pick up the speed. <laughs> no, I know, but, but actually we're at a pretty good clip because we've only been, rec- only been recording like an hour and 20, and we've got pretty much al- almost all the major characters and stuff done. Uh, so Bran, the Bran, Bran's arc was kind of weird as he just trans- – he kind of went from just wogging to tr- fully becoming the three-eyed raven, and during his transition – he started getting visions, interesting visions of the past. We found out, which was kind of cool. I mean, I didn't, I don't, I don't like, I don't dislike Hodor, but he never meant that much to me. You know, people just get wrapped up in Hodor, maybe because he just says Hodor, Hodor all the time. But he never did much. Now we from, know why. Now we know why, though. Yes, because we find out that basically, almost like a Terminator kind of time loop in a way that his that Brand's ability to go into the past, he can actually interact with the past. Well, uh, yeah. Well, he can warg into people. Yes. While doing the visions in the past. Yes, but he also can communicate, as he communicated with Ned, when Ned was going to the Tower of Joy. Remember, he he he, he called out to Ned, and that's why Ned turned around. Uh, 
Yeah, like it was like a like an like an echo kind of thing. Yes, 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 yes. Enough to make so that there's, there's hints, and this could also play into bigger picture issues that maybe Bran has affected the past in more ways than we know. Uh, but basically, you know, the reason the reason why Hodor says Hodor is because because of Bran's warging into the past that. Essentially, it was hold the door, hold the door, almost like this, you know, this message being planted into Hodor's head that that was going to be relevant at some point. That's that's the, that's the most important thing that he was going to have to do at some point was hold the door. And as he kept saying that over and over again when he was younger, it basically just went to Hodor, Hodor. So he was, so that became his name, and that became that became his battle cry, and that became what eventually he did to save to help save Bran and the. Uh, what the hell? What's their family? The girl. Damn. I have no. I, I have. I never knew what their name was. I, I. I. I did know what it was, and it slipped my mind. I. I. It might. It might hit me when I'm not talking. Maybe it'll hit me. But basically, when Brand's warging, he he sees the night the Night King and and the and all his his army, and he gets too close, and the Night King touches him. So then the Night King knows where he is. And pretty much, the, you know, he the Night King goes to try to get Bran to take him out, and that's when he is he escapes, and uh, Hodor. That's where he was destined to hold the door of of you know where they were with the the former Three Eyed Raven, who ended up dying in in this attack. That he was Hodor was meant to hold the door to allow Bran to escape and get a. And then to re- reunite with his un- with his uh, half de- half de- half undead half dead uncle Benjamin Stark, <laughs> who we haven't seen like since what season one too, right? I think it's was season one that we haven't seen. I think so. I think so. Uh, but basically, when Bran's going back into these having these visions, one of the things he fir- we first see Ned coming to the Tower of Joy, which is where his sister Lyanna was being kept, and we don't- first we get the first part of the vision. And where Ned kind of hears crying from the tower at the end, but he doesn't get to go up. He doesn't get to go up there. Uh, we and finally in the, in the season finale, we get to see that whole vision. Well, not selling up the whole vision. Much more of the vision play out. Bran follows Ned up to the top of the tower. He sees his sister Lyanna, and she's soaked in blood. We found we find out that she's given birth. We don't hear everything she says to him, which is done on purpose, but we hear enough to basically say, to. That she's telling Ned that basically, you know, you know he will or you know it's true. Uh, you have to protect him. Promise me Ned. Promise me Ned. Promise me Ned. And of course, we find out by, by the way, if there's any doubt, we find out the way how it's very nicely cut, how the scene is cut, cutting from the baby's face in the baby's eyes directly to Jon Snow or Winterfell. That yes, indeed, that Lyanna Stark is the mother of Jon Snow, and of course, Ned is only his uncle. Which ties into the statement Ned Ned made to him, which always kind of gave you played into that in the beginning of the first season when Ned said, when John was asking about his mother, and he says, "Well, I'll, you know, when I come back, we'll talk about your mother, but just remember, you know, just remember, you 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 don't have my name, but you have my blood," and that's why he doesn't have John, uh, Ned's name because he is a Stark, but he technically is a Ned's son. He is Ned's sister's son, so. And even though it was not confirmed on the show yet, I I showed this to. to to Jim and we and it's been out there that I guess on HBO's little infographic showing how people are related and how you know the information about John was revealed and what it means. 
pretty much if this graphic is accurate and it's not a fake, and I don't think that it is, it, that, the graphic confirms that the R plus L equals a J theory is absolutely true. Well, at the end of the episode 10, it all the only thing it truly confirms was the plus L equals J theory. <laughs> but it does seem everything still points to the fact that Rygar Targaryen, which is Danny's brother, and Lyanna Stark are the parents of Jon Snow. Now it comes into play whether they were married or not, because supposedly the Targaryens were not were polygamous, so he could have married more than one woman. Which then, and I also read something, and I don't know if it's true in the books that the Targaryens were not really ones to make a difference between uh, whether you were legitimate or illegitimate. But either way, especially let's say for the sake of argument that he did marry Lyanna Stark, then that would absolutely mean, technically speaking, that John really is the rightful heir to the throne, not Danny. Because John would be the son of the crown prince. Um, so the reason why, so so we basically find out. Well, we, it is essentially confirmed, though not one hundred percent confirmed, that John is a, is a Stark and a Targaryen. Uh, so that's that was the big that's the big revelation, and that probably obviously is going to play a big factor in not in not just season seven, but you know who's going to be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end. Right. So. Now, I will buzz through what happened in King's Landing. Sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, right in the beginning, you had, um, uh, let's see, you had Cersei, who was stuck in the, uh, the was it the, um, the well, sect? Well, she was out, right? She was at the Red Keep, at the, right, at this point, because isn't that where she made her Walk of Atonement last year? That she ended up at the Red I thought the Red Keep is where she was being kept. Right. Okay, yeah. So she, she made it to the Red Keep, and she was not allowed out to see her daughter's body. And, you know, like she was talking to her son, Tommen. It's like, you know, make this happen. Make me allowed to do this. You know, you're, you're making me a prisoner. And meanwhile, like uh, Marjorie Terrell, she's still, like, locked up. And so is her brother. And Tommen's trying to get them out. And Marjorie is like pulling strings, and it's like you know, it's like oh, I'm you know, I've totally changed and everything like that. And in order to avoid doing the walk of shame herself, she convinces Tommen to basically walk hand in hand with the church. So, you know, like just when like the um, uh, the High Garden. Um, Who's the High Gardens? Tyrell. The Tyrells, like the the Tyrell army, basically comes to have a confrontation, you know, to get uh, to get Marjorie out. Like that's when Tommen comes out and said, "Nope, you know, don't worry, you know, no need for that because I have aligned myself with the Church, and you know, so basically they took away the ability to take down the Church with force, and they no longer had a uh, like a valid reason to do it. So, at this point, now, Marjorie is released, and the brother is not, and the brother has to go on trial, and so does Cersei, and originally it was going to be a trial by combat, which she would obviously win, because she has, like, the zombie mountain. And then Tommen basically makes an announcement that we're doing away with, you know, trial by combat. You know, it's archaic and barbaric. 
and like he knows what this means for his mother and like he just kind of does it anyway so that's when Cersei she uh, makes arrangements and uh, in the final episode we we see what happens is uh, the zombie mountain keeps Tommen in his room he does not let him leave to go to the trial we see Cersei getting ready and we think that she's going to go to the trial, but she never shows up. She basically gets all dressed up to drink a glass of wine and stare out the window. Uh, meanwhile, you've got the uh, the sect of seven, and like they're ready to do this trial. And okay, well, Cersei's not there, but um, the other uh, Tyrell, the I, I have no idea what his name is. Marjorie's brother. Yeah, yeah. Marjorie's brother. That's good enough yeah. for now. Anyway, you know who I'm talking yes. about. He's been, in, he's been in a cell for more than a, a season. R- R- Renly's ex-lover. If you... <laughs> yeah, that dude. So, um, yeah, so he goes you know, ahead, you know, up to uh, the tribunal and says, there's no need for a trial. I'm going to confess all my sins, and I'm also going to renounce my family name and... You know, like, you know, I'll turn my back on everything, renounce everything, and, um, what do you call it? I want to become part of, you know, the, uh, the order. And so they, they carve the, uh, the design on his forehead, and, like, that's basically it. And Marjorie's like, well, you know, you promised that, you know, he he could leave and he'd be fine. And, you know, the, um, the High Sparrow is basically like, it's like, well, that was basically, you know, if Cersei showed up for her, you know, her sentencing, you know, and she hasn't shown up yet. And, like, that's when Marjorie looks around and realizes that she's not there, neither is Tommen, and she's like, we need to get out of here, like, now, because if she's not here and she knows the repercussions, like, that means that she, like, realizes that she's not going to have to deal with those repercussions. We need to get out right now. Uh, too late. The uh, wildfire goes up and destroys like everybody in the uh, that sect area. So now Marjorie and her brother are wiped out. The High Sparrows wiped out, and uh, a whole bunch of other people. They kill off. Um, uh, was that Purcell? I think that's right. The Meister, you mean? Yeah, Meister Purcell. Yeah, I think that's his name. Like they murder him. Because like he's got, he he's has ties to everybody, and you know he's not loyal to anybody. And uh, the Lannister cousin, who was also part of the the order, like he's the one, like you know he's following like these kids who are running around. They're um, the little birds, yep. and uh, you know like he follows one down into the you know the cellars underneath. And, like, he sees the wildfire, and, like, he realizes that, that there's, like, candles burning, like, to kind of kind of create, like, a, an old-fashioned time bomb. And um, he realizes what's about to happen, and, you know, just too late, so he goes up in flames, too. And who's watching, you know, from her, her tower? It's, uh, it's Cersei. So, you know, she's, uh... You know, she's very happy. All of her enemies are, are gone. Well, all of her enemies except for one. Yes. Because the the sister that was tormenting her in her cell, yeah, she got her. 
and like she's uh, like chained up to a, a table for uh, you know for torture purposes. So you know she'll just be able to torture her for you know a while, and um, and then we have Tommen, who seeing you know like he basically turned his back on his mother, and then he sees his wife and his you know his entire religion completely wiped out by his mother. He jumps out the window and dies. And it's kind of, again, going back to a point we talked about before, about how Cersei really hasn't changed pretty much throughout the show, and including doing the same things over again. And she get, she's able to get revenge or even the score with many people, but she always ends up paying a price at, you know, that she doesn't foresee. You can go back and looking at her, her trying to get... I mean, there's lots of examples of it, but a good example of it was Tyrion, how she wanted to get Tyrion so bad for killing Joffrey that that whole domino set up to fall down helped lead to her father being killed because yeah. of Tyrion. And and this is the same way. She keeps she keeps she has a zombie a zombie mountain prevent Tommen from leaving so he won't die there. But then because she wants to carry out her little revenge, which we, which we can include which we can assume including zombie ma- mountain raping. Because he wanted, she wanted him to torture the sister. Then she took him off his babysitting duties, which thus opened the door, literally, for Tommen to jump out the door and die, <laughs> about the window and die. Yep. So, so Cersei, you know, she she does these things, and yes, so so pretty much, yeah. So Tommen, so Tommen dies, and and Cersei ends up putting her really tight ass on the throne. So that so as and that is the like I've hinted before that is the bad bad tasting meat in a otherwise happy sandwich we get at the end of the episode which is book which is book is book ended with John becoming king in the north he sticks a Cersei part in which sucks and then you get the end with Danny co- coming back to Westeros. Uh, so Jen Jamie who, who we didn't talk all that much about Jamie shows up at the end to witness Cersei basically walking down and becoming queen and you could tell by the look on his face that he knows this is not a good idea. Yeah, and Jamie hadn't did she? He didn't do all that much this season. He really was, didn't. Yeah, I mean, like there was there was a little bit with uh, with River Run and the Blackwater, and uh, was it the the Twin Cities? Whatever. There was a neat a, a nice moment with uh, between him and uh, Brienne of Tarth. Yes, they they reunited briefly at River Run when when the the, the Tullys took back River Run. You know, the Blackfish took back River Run, and of course the Blackfish, that's that was the, that's Catelyn's uncle, right? I think that was Catelyn's yes, uncle. Yes. Yes. That we haven't seen him since he escaped, pretty much from the Red Wedding, but he had right. rallied enough Tully forces to take back River Run from the from uh, the Freys, who of course we pretty much pardon the term, but we pretty much find out that the Freys are pretty much pussies without the Lannisters supporting them or the Boltons supporting them on their own. They're nothing. Uh, so. The Freys need help to get back River Run, and this and all this occurs r- right around the time that Tommen is allying himself with the High Sparrow. So pretty much on purpose, because Tommen is such a tool and gets manipulated by everybody, he pretty much orders Jamie to you know to go take River Run back for for the Freys. So that's why Jamie's gone when all this happens. He doesn't arrive till the city's already burning. But Brienne, but Brienne and Pod are sent to River Run to try to convince. Uh, the Blackfish to basically to come march and to basically leave River Run and come and help them in their attack and their 
a coming battle with the with the Boltons. And there's a nice and, and there's some nice moments with Bron because Bron, who didn't appear in most of the season other than the first episode, finally gets a teeny tiny little bit of interaction at the end. Uh, and thank God he didn't go after that other hot chick he liked because that would have been Arya and he could have ended up dead too. <laughs> Even though she has no reason to really be mad at Bron, I don't think so. So that was Jamie's arc, and I think the only two people we really haven't touched upon at all, and we'll do it ever. Well, we didn't touch about Sam, on on Sam Tarly there because he didn't do much this season either. He arrives at his father's house. He, to, we find yet another father who's an asshole on the show. It seems to be a common thread for most of them. Other than Ned, almost everybody's father is a jerk. Uh, so Ned that, and get, what? That part was pretty good. Like the the Sam story was decent. Like he wasn't in a lot of it, but you know, like yeah, he gets back. His dad's a dick, and his he was gonna leave. Um, what's yeah, her face? Like Gilly, right? Yeah, Gilly. He's gonna leave Gilly there, you know, while he went to the um, the Citadel to learn, and you know, like they're they're so awful. He's like, you know what? He's like, you're not gonna stay here. Like, let's go. But before he leaves, he steals the priceless heirloom of the Valerian steel sword that's you know been in the family for generations upon generations. So his daddy ain't gonna be happy about that. No, you would kind of suspect that there'll be there will there'll be repercussions that we'll actually see at some point um, from that little little bold act of act of rebellion there on Sam's part. Uh, I agree. The stuff when he went to see his father was good. That, that stuff when he showed up at the actual Citadel was kind of eh. But obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously. We like to think anyway that there's going to be stuff that Sam finds out which is going to be relevant in, in, you know, in the wars to come, if you will, or the war to come against the uh, the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. And the other nice uh, return this season was the Mountain. The Mountain returned, who we. Who again? It's not seeing a de- seeing a dead body. You know, the, it was good to see that the mountain was actually alive. He not been, the mountain. Oh, I'm sorry, damn it! You're right. Not the mountain. The hound. We don't care about the mountain. Uh, we'll, we'll care when he dies. We don't care about it. Yeah. The hound. I apologize. Yes, we, the hound returns. We find out that he, you know, he was saved, barely alive, but he was saved from, you know, his fight with Brienne when he fell when he fell off the cliff and broke his leg, and probably even from the infection that he had from. That he wouldn't let Arya burn out, which was most of his problem, leading you know weakened him for that fight with Brienne, or else he probably would have never been in that situation. We kind of get a, a kind of a little gent, kinder, gentler hound to a certain extent, and at least in the beginning, until he has to you know avenge the deaths of basically the, the little little sect of people that include uh, including uh, what uh, Ian McShane that had kept that had saved him. So we kind of so he kind of. And it's, it still seems like he's different. I mean, it's not, he's not like he's not going to kill you if, if, if there's a reason to, a real reason to. But he does seem like maybe he's – and Ian McShane played up this part. And when he, he come he kind of goes – he runs back into what the uh, – was it the – is it the Knights with No Borders? That's not right. The Men with the No Banners? Men with No Banners. Men with No Banners. That's it. That he bump, runs back into them who, of course, he had a, literally had a run-in with them a few seasons ago when he killed their leader who also was resurrected by the Lord of Flight of that power. Yeah. That, but they were trying to convince him too that you know that it's still not too late to basically you know it's still not too late to make your life mean something, and you know that basically you still have a role to play and that's why you're here. But so that kind of opens the door for what that could be. Obviously, before Tommen wiped out the idea of having trial by combat, many people thought, oh, that's going to open the door for maybe the the Hound to be the champion for this 
for, you know, for the high sparrows, you know, the faith militant <laughs> to go against the mountain, but that never happened. But it doesn't mean we're still not going to get that fight at some point. It could, oh it, yeah, absolutely. I would suspect that's, I would still suspect that that that's likely. Uh, Count on it. So I think that pretty much covers the these the plots and the in the major characters we mentioned before that we we'll should so not in great detail because I think we were saving it towards the end. Uh, pretty much, and this started coming out even before, right either before the season began or like the first two episodes of the season in that time frame. That you know, the, the showrunners uh, Benioff and Weiss pretty much have said, and they were pretty consistent about this all along because they originally thought it was only going to be seven seasons, but I guess they always had a little bit of wiggle room. That they pretty much always envisioned this whole running time of Game of Thrones to be like seventy to seventy-five hours, and they see it more as seventy-three. They've kind of gone back to the point, but really at this point still see it as only seventy-three, even though nothing's been officially announced by HBO. But the odds are. At max, we know there's 13 to 15 episodes more, probably closer to 13. Hasn't been officially announced, but probably going to be that we're going to have a shorter season 7 instead of a 10 episode 7 and a, and a pretty abridged season 8. Um, which was interesting because I thought, just me, I thought that might have been almost like, po- not posturing, but kind of like, like a power struggle in a way because HBO obviously would like to show to go on for a bunch more seasons. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I like they like the way I see it, like, okay, they wanted the, there's a specific story that they want to tell. Yes. And, and they don't want to pad it. They don't want to, you don't want to pad it. But then also like between like, yeah. Okay. So there's like 13, 14 more episodes and if you did like one extra long, ep- you know, season, you know, and finish it all next season, I mean, like the budget, you know, for that, you know, the final battles and everything like that would be like so astronomical, which, you know, so like, you know, if you split it over two seasons, then you can get a lot more money for those budgets, which is why what I think is that like between seven and eight, like, I think we're going to get one like distinctly, you know, battle for the throne and then, you know, the final season or whatever be the distinct battle for the North or something like that. Now the budget thing you're right about, but then you factor in that then they got to pay everybody for an extra season technically, as opposed to just paying somebody for one season, depending on how they're contracted. And it depends how, depends on you, how you, how much you're making per episode and things like that. It's all, but the reason why I said that I thought it might have been almost like a power thing is because, like I mentioned, that they have been pretty consistent. That they really originally only saw this as maybe like a seven-season show, maybe a little bit more, but they never saw it as more than that. Even though HBO kind of would love it to go on eight or nine seasons, so I thought that was kind of their way of saying, at the end of the day, we have like 13 more hours of material. You can split it up any way you want, but you're only getting 13 more episodes. <laughs> That's how I really saw it, is because of the fact that. That they don't. I mean, I think personally, they would rather have one 13 episode final season and, and wrap it up, or one 10 episode season and just have one, just have it be longer, like the last couple of episodes be longer. But HBO is not going to want that. They're going to want to stretch it out. So I, I, that, and, and that's nothing more than just the way I, I, I just thought that was kind of maybe their way of just saying, hey, this is you know we we kind of made it clear you know we had a vision. This is how long it's going to go, and so you can divide up what we give you any way you want, but you're not getting any more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like I, after this is done, 
it's like I don't think that this is going to be the end of this that world. world. Yeah, you know, like the Game of Thrones, I think will be done just because the game is over. But I mean, like between the you know additional like stories that uh, George R. R. Martin has already written, you know, for like the other time periods and stuff like that, you know, and if they wanted to just cut off and do their own thing, like, you know, set it a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years in the future, you know, like anything like that is possible also. So. I agree. It, I'm sure we'll see more of it. Um, now, obviously we've gone, I actually, I can't say we've gone longer than I figured. I figured we're, we're pretty much on target. <laughs> I know for, for Jim, we probably have gone longer than he, than he wanted. Uh, so before we, before we fade into oblivion, the l- final thing, but we'll leave out. We kind of touched on the moments of the season, so there's no point. Uh, predictions. So predictions. this is our predictions time for. So it can be. So you can say what you think will happen in episode in season seven or or season eight, or not even tie it to any. Just your overall predictions of what you think we're going to see between now and the end of the show, and then I will do the same, and then we can wrap the sucker up. Okay. So I like the um, Azor Ahai. Oh, the prince who was promised? The prince who was promised. Yeah, like that whole prophecy. Like, it seems to me that what they're kind of trying to pull is like exactly like Harry Potter. Where, you know, like you had the um, the prophecy of like the, the, the child who was going to end up overthrowing uh, Voldemort. And like... You know, okay, well, they're going to be born on this day, and, you know, this is what's going to happen, and blah, 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 blah. And then you had Harry Potter, and then you had Neville Longbottom, who were both born on the exact same day. And, you know, like, all, like, the prophecy could have applied to, like, both of them. I think, like, both their parents, like, their parents were, well, his parents, like, I think were made crazy or like, like, something like that. But, you know, like, there were a lot of, like, comparisons so that, while you're reading all this this book about Harry Potter, there was still a slight chance that the prophecy was never actually about him. So, like, you've got, like, the prince who was promised, who, you know, like, we don't know a lot about it, but, like, you know that they were going to be born under a bleeding star. And, you know, like, and so, like, there's different things where, like, with Jon Snow... You know, like, um, I was, I was reading the nurse and they were basically saying how, like, the, um, the sword of the morning. Yes. When, like, he died and, like, Ned, like, grabbed his sword and, which is Dawn. Yes. Um, which is made from the heart of a fallen star. And, you know, so, like, it, it's, like, you know, it's bloody from, from killing the, the guy. So, like, they've got, like, this bloody star like at the bed where John Star John Snow is born. You know, so like you have that tied to the connection and then with Daenerys, like when she was reborn in the fire, like you had the um the the red comet going above. You know, so like that could be the red star. You know, like and then the other thing is we don't oh yeah. Well so my theory is that Tyrion is also a uh Targaryen. A Targaryen. It's possible. Um, yeah, because, like, uh, Tywin has, you know, mentions, like, you know, you're no son of mine, and, uh, you know, 
the other oh, the, the other big thing is that Jon Snow um uh well yeah Jon Snow and I think uh Daenerys also you know both uh, killed their mother in childbirth and so did Tyrion so I mean like most likely um most likely Tyrion is also a uh a Targaryen but can um, they prove it though that's the only thing in the story can unless unless it's going to be brand's going to be the all purpose proof of everything for the for the audience can they I agree I think it's likely but I I are very possible maybe not likely very possible well I mean there, there's somebody who's basically traveling with them who could let them know and that's Varys Varys yeah cuz he was the um the master of whispers that's true so you know, and also, um, you know, Eris Targaryen, oh, Eris II Targaryen, the Mad King, he did have a thing for uh, Tywin's wife. So I like, you know, I think there's like implications that they might have actually had more of an affair than just, uh, you know, just one that produced a child. Like it, you know, they may have carried on for a while. So, so yeah, so, but I mean, like, we don't know any of the details around Tyrion's birth. So, like, in the next season, we may get information that he was born under, you know, a bleeding star also. So, like, you know, like, there's all that kind of stuff. I think that stuff's, in, you know, interesting. Um, what you call it? The, um, the former Meister from the Wall, um, Aemon. Master Aemon? Yes. Um, he was a Targaryen also, and yes. everybody just kind of forgot that. So, and, like, he, like, commented about how, like, you know, there's, she's going to need three heads of the dragon. I should be there to help guide her. And, you know, like, three heads of the dragon, like, okay, so we just confirmed that Jon Snow is a Targaryen, and most likely uh, Tyrion is a Targaryen, so... Like right there, you're gonna have your your three heads of the dragon. So I think it's basically gonna be the three of them, uh, you know, like on top at the end. Makes sense. Anything else? Not, um, I'm not rushing. I just I just don't know. Didn't know if that was your your only thought or not. I mean, like that's. I think that's the primary. I well, if, and I think after that, like Jon Snow will. Actually, I don't know. I was going to say Jon Snow would continue to rule the North, you know, and she'll run the, you know, the the Seven Kingdoms overall. But, like, what you were saying as far as, you know, she's a conqueror. Like, I wonder if she'll leave Jon Snow to rule, and then she'll go back to Essos and, you know, like, basically conquer that. And just be like the greatest conqueror in the world. Now, with um, I already mentioned the, the the Cersei thing. I think think Jamie will I think Jamie will kill her. I, yeah. think, I think that I think that'll happen. Uh, a lot of what happens with Danny, see, we because we were, we've been told that Danny can't have any more kids. Any more, any more natural kids, whether that's true or not, or maybe she has to be with the right person. But if it's true that Danny can't have any more kids, then that kind of 
to me that answers the question that that she can't be sitting on the iron throne at the end because if if so I mean it, it, I guess you you can do an ending in which she's on the iron throne if she's already named John as her heir that John will carry on after she's gone but if yeah. you but if, other than that if she can't have any more kids then she's not going that there has that she's either going to have to die I mean, she could be queen first, but she's, which I think will happen. I, I think Danny will be queen. She will get the Iron Throne before the series ends. I don't think she'll be sitting on it when it ends. I think John will be sitting on it when, when it ends. Now, if for some reason she can't have a child, but she could theoretically with John because they're both Targaryens, if that somehow would offset, you know, then maybe you could have them. And I know a lot of people thought, oh, let's have them marry each other and. Because Targaryens are, don't exactly frown upon that. <laughs> but is that really the happy? I mean, yeah, it's two characters we really, really like. But having an aunt and a nephew walk off into marriage together—is that really the happy ending they want? We want to get really. I mean, is that really what we want to see? I know we like the characters, but is that really? So I, that makes me. That's why when I hear people say that, it makes sense on some level. But I don't necessarily know they're going to give us that. So I think. I think she becomes queen. I think she dies fighting the Night King and the White Walkers. Jon Snow becomes king. Jon Snow carries on the Targaryen dynasty. Because Jon... Oh, I don't know who he's going to marry. Marry Masande for God's sake. Uh, but... And then... Yeah, and the reason why I don't think Tyrion will... Tyrion is always... There's a, ch a chance, but don't forget... Tyr Again, words tend to mean things in these stories. And Tyrion himself had said... like. In, in the promotional material for season five, when they were having his his discussion with Varys, he said, "You know, I will never sit on the Iron Throne." But that's when Varys said to him, "No, but you you can help. You could basically help help someone else uh, climb up those steps." And that was his way of you know and pushing them towards the, the alliance with Daenerys. Right. So I don't think Tyrion will be on the Iron Throne. Tyrion could still end up being hand to the king. Still, he could be hand to John. Or or if da or if Davos survives, he could be hand to the king, which would kind of be appropriate too, since he was hand to Stannis, and if Stannis had ever taken the throne, he was going to be his hand to the king. Yeah, I don't see but Stannis making it to the end. You mean Davos? Davos. Yeah, I don't think so too. I think Davos, unfortunately, I mean, he's a great character. He's a yeah. but he'll die. I agree. So probably, probably. Jon Snow is, is sits on the throne, especially because, again, he's somebody who doesn't want it, so that's why he'll do a good job with it. And Tyrion will be the hands of the king. It'll be interesting to see if... And this is kind of like, again, you want a feel-good thing in a way. It'd be kind of cool if Tyrion and Sansa ended up back together, but by, by, by choice this time. Yeah. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, so, the only one that was ever actually nice to her. Yeah. Because you know, at some point they're gonna, in low likelihood, they're gonna interact again, and it'd be kind of cool to see how she reacts, how she reacts to him. Now, being in a position of seeing everything she's seen, will she appreciate his kindness to her even more so, having been with you know Bolton, and and also even uh, how Joffrey treated her, though Joffrey never like violated her, but Joffrey, but still. Um, yeah. And I think, unless you have something to add, I think we've kind of, we've done our justice to this season. Oh, I think we've done more. More than just we've done an injustice now. No. <laughs> Twice the justice. Um, do you want to you want to plug our show before I plug the show? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, 
yeah, Greatest Toy Podcast. We we do a toy podcast called Greatest Toy Podcast. Go to greatesttoypodcast.com and uh, listen to all the toy news. We have to record that next. We do. Uh, if you're up, if you're still up to it, I can do it. If you are, oh, it's going to be a speed episode. Okay, so yeah, if you've never listened to the Greatest Toy Podcast, then uh, that's going to be the one to listen to because it's going to be nice and short. <laughs> yeah, we'll both aim for like forty-five minutes of max for that one, probably. Twenty-minute episode. But there's a lot of stuff to cover. To be fair to us. True. But but it'll be interesting to see if we could do it. This is the abridged version. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to contact us uh, for, or talk about this episode or in any other episode, and we didn't get any feedback, which is not surprising yet, but may, hopefully we'll get some Game of Thrones feedback that uh, we can talk about in a future episode. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter instagram and like us on facebook use hashtag geocast to find us on any of those we're on itunes and stitcher so please leave us positive reviews on one or both of the platforms if you listen to us on both last but not least if you'd like to leave us a voicemail 708 lantern 708 lantern and let us know what you think and up next should be uh, should be another guest host as our friend Corwin Kroll should be returning. Where we've and he and I will make up for lost time and do the quarterly quarterly, which will technically not come out in the second quarter now, but we won't miss it by much. So that that is our that should be the next episode. So and then Chad will come back probably. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. <laughs>